It's a great time of year, isn't it? O come, O come, Emmanuel, meaning Christ with us. I just get so excited this time of year. And uh, it's one of the reasons that we do an open house. Wanted to remind you, um, I appreciate Lucas talking about it a little bit, but uh, every year, Cerise and I, uh, it's just a, our way of giving back. It's impossible for us to get a, a gift for every person who's here. So uh, what we do is we just open our house and uh, have a, time, a come and go time and we'll have some food and some snacks. And uh, in fact, I'll be this week busy cooking some things. So there will be some homemade uh, things to eat there, uh, peanut brittle and fudge and some different stuff. But um, anyway, hope that you can come. Now to remind you, and I'll remind you again next week, it is come and go. If, you know, 200 people come and don't go, I'm not sure we have enough room for that. So don't feel obligated to come and stay for two hours. Come, say hi, drink some wassail, hot chocolate, you know, have some peanut brittle, and then uh, you can go. It's fine. <laughs> uh, but it's just, we just, uh, we love you guys, and we love this church, and we're happy to do that. And then what about the Christmas trees? The beautiful, right? When y'all came up uh, this week, I just, yeah, it's, give, give a hand for that. It was amazing. I want to say thank you to everybody who helped. I got, have to tell you, I don't even know how many hundreds of man hours goes into putting all that together, setting up trees and lights and all of the different things. Uh, really, really appreciate the efforts of Dee. She's not here right now. Shannon, uh, for all that she did. Uh, just in the rest, uh, the staff worked really hard to make this happen. Several volunteers just uh, so appreciate that. It would not be possible. I do want to remind you that uh, even though the event is over, the work is not. <laughs> so uh, we're not going to do it this week. We'll get on it next week. But um, if you are able to help next week, not this coming week, but the following week, maybe sometime, come or go, come take a couple of trees down every day would be awesome. Uh, no, but uh, we do need that help. Uh, it's a good thing. I want to say one more thing. Um, I... Uh, I don't know if you guys know this. It was, uh, it's really quite an honor that at this year's General Assembly, so just to let you know if you're kind of new to our church, every four years, it's supposed to be four years, COVID messed that up a little bit, and uh, they're, gonna, they're trying to get back on schedule. But every four years, the Church of the Nazarene has a, a global event. Every church, every person that's uh, from around the world is coming to Indianapolis. It's just a, a time that not only to come together and have worship and, and things to see what's going on in the church as a whole, how ministry's going in different places of the world, Africa and India and just all over. It's amazing that we get to do that together. But um, during the, it's also a time we kind of handle some of the business things. Um, but our very own Bruno and Gabby have been asked to lead worship for the entire General Assembly every night through the week. So um, if y'all see them, just uh, say thanks for being awesome, I guess. I'm not sure. Now they'll be, they'll be on be part of the team. There's going to be others. But uh, the th interesting thing is that some people do it some nights, some people do it other nights, and they have been asked to do every night. And uh, there will be thousands and thousands of people there all gathered from around the world. And uh, they're going to be doing that. So pretty cool that they were asked to do that. Um, we are taking a break from our time of um, uh, Ephesians. We're going through Ephesians, but we're taking an Advent break. 
And uh, during the season of Advent, we're going through the four Sundays of Advent, and I think it's been a good time for us. We're able to uh, pause for a minute. I was talking with the team this morning. I said, hey, everybody, just, just take a breath. <sighs> it's Christmas time. You know, it's the season, not only Christmas and the Christmas trees, but we're remembering Jesus. We're in this time of Advent with an expectation of him returning. You know, we're thinking about the time when the, the Jews, the ancient peoples were expecting their Messiah to come and he came in the form of Jesus. We're remembering that and standing in solidarity with them, but at the same time looking forward to him returning. I just, it's a great time of year. We get caught up in everything that's going on and, um, you know, during this season, we're already the second Sunday of Advent. There's only four. So we're, we're taking a pause from uh, Ephesians and going to go through, uh, you know, this season of Advent. We'll get back to Ephesians very soon. I uh, have a couple of stories to tell to kind of get us understanding what I'm going to talk about today. My kids are growing up. It happens. Um, in fact, uh, Morgan just turned 16, got her driver's license, um, which is hard to wrap my mind around. But um, I, was, I was telling her, I guess I can say it now because I'm far enough past it. Whenever, like, I'm not sure what my parents were thinking or how this even happened, but um, I drove myself to take my driver's test. <laughs> Parked away from the office, went inside, got all registered, Went back outside, got the, I don't, like, I, why did they let me do that? But um, we are much different than that. Uh, but at 16 years old, she's, uh, she's there. Now, when she was about five and her little sister was about three, I, I can remember it was one of the funniest, it was a very funny thing that happened to them. Maybe not one of the funniest, but it was a funny thing that happened. Um, of course, being sisters, it still happens, but they were playing in the room. They shared a room at that time and they were playing in the room and uh, I can remember Morgan was playing with whatever it was. I don't even remember the toy. She was playing with some toys and Maddie walked up and, and snatched a toy from Morgan and Morgan was very upset about Maddie snatching the toy from her and took it back and ripped it out of her hands. I was, um, uh, saw this happen and maybe it was in the living room but I remember they, they she ripped it out of her hands and you can't play with my toys. You know, you've seen this happen before. And um, so I, you know, intervene. Listen, girls, you need to try to get along. Morgan, you need to share your toys. Maddie, you don't need to just take the toys. And uh, so calmed everything down, went back. And I mean, it wasn't 30 seconds later that I was watching and Maddie walked over, snatched the toy and took off running as fast as she could <laughs> because she wanted the toy. It just didn't matter what I said or what we were trying to do. Um, you know, life is full of conflict. And, you know, it's not toys anymore. It's curling irons now. Um, same exact thing happened last week with the curling iron. <laughs> That's my curling iron. You can't use it. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to snatch it and run off. Uh, I can tell a story on myself. I was, uh, I was seventh or eighth grade. I have a little sister. She's five years younger. And I can remember that she was a little brat. So let's <laughs> just get that out of the way right off the top. Uh, my little bratty sister. And I can remember, if she ever comes to visit, don't tell her I said that, okay? So, well, but we were, we lived, uh, you guys know I grew up in a trailer house, right? And uh, we were in a bougie trailer house because it was double wide. And uh, in, in our trailer house, it was built in a, such a way there was an island in the kitchen. And then the kitchen had a wall between it and the living room. 
I'm trying to set this up for you so you understand what's going on. But there were two entrances between the kitchen and the living room. So you could run around in the kitchen and then into the living room and then back into the kitchen and in the living room so you can make the circle. Well, I had one of those rubber bouncy balls that was, it was a big one. You guys remember the big rubber, like almost the size of a baseball, big fat rubber bouncy ball. And this toy snatching thing happened. But I was like seventh or eighth grade. So I was 12 or 13 years old, somewhere in that range. And um, my bratty little sister took my rubber bouncy ball. And she was five years younger. So she would have been, you know, seven, eight years old. She took it and she took off running. Well, I took off after and uh, eventually caught her because she was younger and smaller and could not run me. And I grabbed that ball from her and then I took off and, and then she started running. But now the justice needed to happen, right? So there was some retribution that needed to happen for this. So I was going to tackle her down and beat her up. I don't know what I was going to do, but she took off running. So I took off after her and we were running around and around between the living room and the kitchen and the living room and the kitchen. I can still remember this to this day. And at one point, and I had the ball in my hand, at one point she broke towards the end of, her room is at the very end of the house. And you guys know that these trailer houses are long. So she took off to the end of her house, of our house where her room was at the very end of the door. And I, realizing I wasn't gonna get to her before she got to the room, I stopped and I reared back to throw this rubber bouncy ball at her. And I just winged it just as hard as a junior high boy could. Just tossed that ball as hard. And about the time it got to where she was, she was in the room, shut the door. Um, and it left an indention in the door where her head was. <laughs> I mean, I very nearly killed my little sister on that day if she hadn't have been that quick. And then the trouble came when I had to explain to mom and dad why there was an indention in the door when they got home. Um, that was, uh, but it, it's just, it's conflict, right? Conflict is everywhere. We find conflict in everything going on in our life. Uh, it can be at work. It can be with politics. It can be on social media, Instagram or Facebook or uh, nowadays Twitter. Like there's, there's conflict everywhere that we turn. And the thing is, is we might look and say it's worse today than it's ever been. But I'm not sure that we can say that. Uh, I think that probably it's been pretty bad forever because humans are human. And without Jesus... This is the world that we live in. So today our scripture is going to be in Isaiah uh, chapter 11. If you want to follow along, you can, uh, it'll be on the screens, but also it'll be in the, the church's app. You can download the church's app and go there, the Bible app, and uh, go there as well. So it's, um, in fact, it's very simple. The church's app, I was playing around with it earlier, and I don't have my phone up here, but uh, you can just go to the church's app, go to uh, I forget which, the services, I think. And then in services, there's sermon notes. So uh, today we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of prayer, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth and with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will, lay, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. 
The wolf will live with the lamb and leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. In a world so torn by conflict and war and politics, Advent, in this, this Advent season, that speaks about peace. And today is all about peace. That's the theme of today, of, of Sunday on the Advent calendar this year. How is it that we can find the peace that Isaiah predicts? And that's really what I want to talk about today. How is it that we can find the peace that Isaiah predicts? So uh, the first is by knowing the Prince of Peace. In verse 1 he says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. In the time of Israel, they needed to know the Prince of Peace. Now, keep in mind that this was written, Isaiah wrote this sometime around 721 B.C., it would have been pretty close to that. And it was about the time of the fall of the 10 northern tribes of Israel to the Assyrian Empire, which at the time would have been the world's only superpower. And Israel had lost its way. And you can go and read what Isaiah says. It's a, it's a pretty intense book. But he's prophesying about the end of the, or the fall of Israel. And it's facing the judgment of God because they have been unfaithful and they've been serving the gods of the nations that surrounded them. If you remember, they, as time went on, began to conquer other peoples and they were um, in other countries and then they began to assume the gods that those other countries had and they began to worship those gods. He starts off in verse 1, he calls the lineage of David, the stump of Jesse. And this is the only time in the Old Testament where the Davidic lineage is referred to by David's, King David's father, who was Jesse. And the other places, it's David. And Isaiah predicts that this, the Davidic dynasty is going to be uh, cut off. It, it's going to be destroyed. So the, all that remains of the family tree is the stump. Some of you may understand that, the, the stump of the tree. In, in chapter 11, he predicts also the restoration of the kingdom. That's why he talks about this as a stump. Um, you guys might have dealt with trees in the past. When we lived in St. Louis, we had a chain link fence around the, the yard. And we had a tree that had grown up into the chain link fence. You guys probably know the type. I didn't know exactly how to, I needed to get rid of the tree, but I didn't want to have to replace the chain link fence. So rather than um, try to pull the tree out or dig it out or any of that, I just cut it off. You know, it was a small one. It hadn't grown very big. Every single year that we lived there, it would sprout 
new shoots of tree. I, I never understood how the tree kept coming back. But the, the point is, is that the root was still in the ground. The root was still trying to go. And that's what Isaiah is saying is, is going to happen to Israel. It's going to be cut off. Like, tired of what's going on, tired of all the mess. We're going to cut it off. But the root remains. The stump remains. The root's still going to be there. So there can be restoration. And I think that's something we should remember. That God never leaves us without hope. There's always something that can still happen. There's always a way that we can make our way back to him. There's always something that God is doing under the ground. A way that he wants to restore us to what he has called us to be. He never leaves us without hope. We need to know the Prince of Peace. Like Israel needed to know the Prince of Peace. I read a story about a missionary named Don Richardson. Uh, he served for many years in the... Uh, area of Papua New Guinea and, and there, there's a, it's a tribal area. There's just a lot of different um, indigenous peoples and tribes in there and he, he wrote a book called The Peace Child and in this book he writes about the struggle he had translating the, the Messiah, Jesus, into their language and the, people find this a lot of times when they're trying to translate scripture into the language of indigenous people because the way that they speak or some, some of them don't even have written language. They're doing some really neat work. You guys know that uh, from our friend who, who works in that where they um, are translating it into a spoken word rather than a written word because it's just not able to be written. And he was having trouble doing this. So um, he finally found one day after talking with some people a way to relate the story to them. And it's really interesting. What it was going on was there were two tribes who were constantly at war with each other. I mean, we're talking generation after generation after generation. A very Hatfield and McCoy kind of thing was going on. And one day these two tribes realized that if we stay after this, eventually there will be nothing left. There's nothing that can go on. So they met together to try to bring some peace. And what they decided to do was the chief from one tribe and the chief from another tribe got together. And the chief from the one tribe brought their child, a baby, an infant, and let the chief from the other tribe adopt this baby. And as long as they decided this child was alive the war would stop because it brought the two tribes together. And that's where the name, the peace child, came from. This was a child that brought peace. And so he was able to finally relate the story of the gospel through this peace child that he had discovered. And for us today, that's exactly what God did for us with Jesus. He is the peace child. Maybe you feel like something has been suddenly cut off in your life. Maybe you feel like your hopes and your dreams and everything that you want, your aspirations have just fallen apart. All that is left is a stump of unrealized expectation. The good news is that God is the restorer of dreams. God is the bringer of of hope and he will restore your aspirations. He wants to bring peace. He wants you to have that. Jesus as the peace child is the prince of peace. And in this Advent season, he wants to bring that to your life. 
The second thing is that uh, not only did they need to know the Prince of Peace, they needed to understand the source of peace. In verse 2, he says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, and he will judge the needy with righteousness, the justice he will make decisions for the poor, and faithfulness will be the sash about his waist. Israel needed to understand the source of peace. They, they needed to know uh, who he was. They are standing, Israel, in this moment on the brink of devastation. The once unified 12 tribes have been separated and have been brought to a different uh, place where they're going to die and crumble. But it's like they didn't care because they continued to live in this debauchery all the while wondering why things weren't getting better. We do that sometimes. We don't change our life. We just hope things change for us. So Isaiah is the one, he's crying out to Israel, to the source of peace, to, he, he's asking for the lasting peace. It's just not happening. That's whenever he gets the qualifications of who the Prince of Peace is. In verse two, the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him and he will be filled with the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel and of might. He's able to give us wise counsel. The spirit of knowledge, meaning he'll have knowledge of the plans of God, the, the fear of the Lord. It, Isaiah's up for them to understand that he is the source of peace. And, and then not only is he the source of peace, but he gives characteristics of what the rule of the Messiah will look like, what his kingdom will be, essentially. He says he will judge the needy with righteousness. Or it could be translated with rightness of decision, basically deciding rightly on their behalf. No longer, in other words, will people suffer oppression under the wealthy. He says that in the kingdom of God, in verse four, that he will reign with justice he will give decisions for the poor. Equity and fairness will characterize his reign. He also says with the rod of his mouth, he will slay the wicked. Uh, the wicked. This is interesting because it's uh, better translated as the scepter of his mouth. Or in other words, that the words of his mouth will pass sentence on the wickedness. So many times we think it's our job to pass judgment on somebody. It's our job to correct something. It's our job. But people aren't going to listen. Verse 5, he says that the Messiah's rule will be characterized by faithfulness because that will be the sash around his waist. Firmness and stability of character, in other words. Like it's all of the things that we imagine the kingdom of God to be. The manner of the, the Davidic Messiah, you know, the, the, the David's line, the Davidic Messiah, is completely contrary to the way things are happening in Israel at this time. And Isaiah is prophesying this from God to the people. Because at this time, Justice had been perverted. God's blessing has been revoked. 
People are living in fear. He's calling them to repentance. And it's the same word that John the Baptist used, to repent. Meaning to change or to turn around. It's, it's changing from one thought, from a former thought to a new thought. It's turning our life around. And that's why when God calls us to repent, uh, people have in mind they just want to ask forgiveness. But repent doesn't mean only forgiveness. It means to turn your back on, to change direction, move away from whatever the thing is you're repenting of. And just like Israel needs to understand the, the source of peace, we need to understand the source of peace. Imagine how our world longs for peace today. I mean, they are looking for peace in everything that is going on. Uh, peace. All of us long for it, but for some reason we refuse to yield to the one who can bring peace. It doesn't make any sense that we would do that because we know who can bring the peace. But we try to bring it ourselves. And, and you know, peace is easy to spot. You can find it. You can look at somebody and see the peace that they have. I, um, I know that one of the things that I talk to, to my kids about and I've talked to several of you about is as humans, we have this... Um, I don't know, this desire, this want, this thing to live from crisis to crisis. I don't know. It's not, we don't think that we do, but do you guys ever notice it's like if we're not in a crisis, we're like, what's the other shoe's about to drop? Like, when's it coming? I know it's going to happen. There's another crisis just around the corner. But that's not the life that God has called us to or for. That's not what he wants for us. He wants us to exist in peace. And the only way that that happens is if we exist in him. And when the crisis is going on, we can still have peace because we know who brings the peace because he's with us. It's a spe I can remember in junior high, man, every, this guy liked this girl and then she broke up with this person and they, and like this friend doesn't like this one anymore because they said something about this one. And it, it was crisis. And that's some of the best advice that my dad ever gave me. He said, Cal, quit living from one crisis to the next, man. <laughs> you have to cut it out. And that's my encouragement to you. Don't live from crisis to crisis. Live in peace. When crisis comes, find the peace that's there. And, and what happens is we become addicted to that, whatever that is, that feeling. We, we become addicted to it. And, and so we begin to, if it's not there, and you probably know people like this, they will create a crisis, uh, unknowingly even. Like they're making crisis because it, this normal peace feeling, it, we don't understand it. So we make a crisis so that we can lean into that. It's unintentional most of the time. I think sometimes people <laughs> intentionally make a crisis. But that's not at all what Jesus wants for us. We just have to trust him and know that he's going to make the, the wrong right. All right, and here's the last one. They, not only did Israel need to know the prince of peace and the source of peace, but they needed to experience the restoration of peace. They needed to experience the restoration of peace. The second half of our scripture today, he, he says, 
the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion, the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. He's describing a world that we can't even begin to understand. Israel needed to experience this restoration of peace. Isaiah's prophecy goes far beyond the immediate context of Israel's timeline here and begins to prophesy the birth of Christ. He is talking about the establishment of Christ's kingdom. Right, Jesus, we, we talked about that, the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus is trying to get people to understand in all of the gospels. And we've talked about his kingdom here. Let me tell you, he says over and over, let me tell you the good news about the kingdom of God. And as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's so much in there about um, the kingdom of God and what that looks like in a place where everybody gets along and and. The poor are welcomed in and the marginalized have a place to stay and, and everybody is found equal in the presence of God. That's what he's trying to get them to understand. And I, I probably say this every week in Sunday school. This morning we were talking about the, um, the Good Samaritan. <laughs> Thank you. And in the Good Samaritan, the three came by, the priest, the Levite, and the, and the Samaritan, right? The, after the robbers had almost killed the guy and the Samaritan is the one who acted out the kingdom of God the one who he's the one who looked at the the person who had almost been killed and he looked at him and he didn't know his status in life if he was wealthy or poor he didn't because he didn't have any clothes he he didn't know if he was uh what type of person he was. He didn't know what language he spoke. He didn't know where he lived. He knew nothing about him, but he still did for him because this was Jesus' parable. Jesus is saying it doesn't matter your status and it doesn't matter uh, where you live and it doesn't matter the color of your skin and it doesn't, your ethnicity isn't important to unity. That's what he's trying to get Israel to understand. He, he says three things. There's restoration of peace in nature, right? The wolf in, will live with the lamb. The lion will eat straw like the ox. An infant will play near the den of a cobra. Not yet, okay? Keep him away from that right now. But one day, one day nature will be restored. Uh, there will be restoration of peace over the earth and natural elements, Right? The earth will be full, he says, will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And, and then the third thing, there's restoration of peace over the nations. In that day, he says, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. He's painting this picture where everybody loves everybody, where everybody is getting along, that um, they learn to trust God, that they learn to rely on the one who's bringing the peace. Its sin will cease to prevail. Judgment gives way to forgiveness. Restoration gives way to peace. And instead of violence, peace will cover the earth. We need to experience the restoration of peace ourselves. Isaiah predicts a beautiful vision. It's the exciting news of what this Advent season is telling us about. In Advent, we remember that Jesus will return. Now, until he does, it's our job to bring the peace with us because we have the source of peace within us. 
the Holy Spirit. Everywhere you go, take peace with you. People will experience that in your presence because the presence of the Holy Spirit rests on you. One day though, when Jesus comes back, it will just be the natural state of things. It's gonna be an amazing time and an amazing place. I'll tell this story as we're closing. There was a um, illustration that I read about the Archbishop of the Chicago Diocese. His name was Cardinal Joseph uh, Bernadine. Uh, you might have heard of him. He wrote a book called The Gift of Peace. And uh, Cardinal Bernadine retells the story in there. And you guys remember uh, in the Catholic Church, there was a lot of controversy that uh, went along with some children who had been uh, sexually abused. And one child named, or an adult at this time, Stephen Cook, came out and accused sexual Bernadine, uh, I mean, uh, Cardinal Bernadine of this, uh, of that abuse. And um, in 1993, the accusation became public. And Cardinal Bernadine had to live with that. And of, of course, everybody at the time was very upset and, and really... Um, Everybody was guilty, right? Because it was happening a lot and it seemed, it seemed to have been. Over time, this guy, um, Stephen Cook, acknowledged that the charges were false and the case was dropped. But the damage had been done to Colonel Bernadine. Turns out he didn't do it. He was never at fault for that. But you know, he did the mark thing. He located Mr. Cook. He invited him to the seminary where he uh, uh, taught outside of Philadelphia. And Cardinal Bernstein explained that he just wanted to meet with Mr. Cook and tell him that he harbored no ill feelings. That he wanted to pray with him and offer forgiveness in person. So Stephen Cook accepted the, the invitation, unsure of what was going to happen but he thought it was a chance for him to apologize for the embarrassment as well. So Mr. Cook, in telling his story, talks about how he felt abandoned by God and the church, alienated. But Cardinal Bernadine offered to have a time of communion with him and pulled out one of his prized 100-year-old chalices to do this with. Stephen Cook afterwards said a big burden had been lifted from him that day. Never thought that he would receive that kind of forgiveness. He said he felt very healed and very much at peace. Today, if we will follow the Prince of Peace, a big burden can be lifted from our shoulders. The burden of unforgiveness the burden of despair, the burden of anxiety, the burden of guilt, whatever burden you're carrying, you don't have to carry it. If we will only know the Prince of Peace. Isn't it crazy? Something written by the prophet Isaiah 720 years before Jesus can speak so strongly to us today. And we're still waiting on the Prince of Peace. One of the reasons I love Advent is not only do 
we get to celebrate Christmas, which I love, but we get to remember that Jesus is coming back. It's a reminder every year. He's coming back. He's going to come back. I mean, does that resonate? He's coming back. And the Prince of Peace will reign supreme. But until that time, will you just allow him to reign in your life? And whatever burden you have today, whatever craziness is going on in your life, whatever thing you need help with, allow that Prince of Peace to bring peace to your heart. Let's pray. God, uh, this morning we're so grateful to you for what you have done in our lives, for sending your son Jesus to bring the Prince, the, the prince of Peace to us, for Isaiah talking about this Prince of Peace and about the Messiah who would come one day. I pray that you would help us Help us to lean into the Prince of Peace. Help us to bring peace to our lives. This morning, we're going to have a time of communion here in a moment. There's four stations around. Uh, two up here are done by intention. It's called, you will tear a piece of bread off and dip it in the cup. And then there's uh, pre-packaged ones in the back, if you would prefer that, that are sealed. And uh, back in this corner, um, the gluten-free communion is there. But I just want to invite you as we, as we do this time of communion that you would take the opportunity to invite the Prince of Peace to bring peace into whatever situation. We all have a situation. It doesn't matter who we are. There's something. Jesus, just bring the peace. And at our church, you don't have to be a member of our church to take communion. You can, um, anybody can do it. And those that are helping, I'm gonna ask you to go ahead and find your way over there. But we wanna remember how in communion on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said this is my body which will be broken for you and after the meal was over he took the cup what we call the cup of blessing and he said this is my blood this is the blood of a new covenant which will be shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins when you do this do it in remembrance of me and he passed it around for them all to partake of the blood of a new covenant. So this morning, I just invite you as you take communion to remember that it was his body broken just for you and it was his blood that was shed just for you. So Jesus, this morning, as we take this time of communion together and remember the Prince of Peace, I pray that you would bless us, bless this group, and, and Father, that we might take some time now we don't have to rush to it. We can do the communion at, a, at our own pace. For those that want to come to the altar, you can come to the altar and, and if you want to kneel where you're at, but I do encourage all of us to take some time. Jesus, help us to intentionally wait on you in our hearts.
and remember what was done for us. And it all started with your birth. We're grateful to you for that. In Jesus' name we pray.